y'all. I'm Betsy Orton with the Dickey Foundation, and you're listening to Dickey's Doing Good, a podcast where we tell good stories about good people doing good things in their community. I'm so excited because my guest today is Bob Rusnick, who had a 36-year career with the Air Force and military police. He's also one of our longtime Dickey's owners, and we're thrilled to have him join us. Thanks for joining me, Bob. It was really a pleasure to be asked. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. So obviously you, you and I have had a chance to, to visit and get to know each other, but uh, for those folks listening who don't know you as well, tell us about yourself and your military service and how you came to be where you are now. Well, um, I was prior service enlisted in the communications field back in the 1970s. The time, time frame was very long. 19 time. when? My <laughs> <laughs> uh, son says 1870-something, but, you know. Uh, but no, and then I... Uh, Got out, went in the National Guard for a while, and then got finished my degree. Went back in as a, a security police officer at the time, now called Security Forces. Uh, and then I uh, got a chance to, I went to Korea for a year and uh, went to some other interesting places. And then uh, transitioned for a while to the Office of Special Investigations, where I did some computer crime investigations, counterintelligence. And I got to deploy to and run a counterintelligence unit in Bishkek. Kyrgyzstan. I don't think most people could find that on a map. Most most people wouldn't want to find it on a map. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a former Soviet Union satellite country uh, that's very interesting. They're very, very poor there. Uh, but I had a great time. I got to do some really cool things, which maybe someday I, I'll be able to tell you about, but, but uh, probably not appropriate for a podcast. But I got to do some really interesting things. Um, and then... Uh, Went back to the security forces field, and uh, then I got to deploy to Afghanistan once, and that was interesting. And uh, ended up at, at the Air Force Base Command here in Colorado Springs, uh, where I retired. And uh, my wife's also military. She served 20 years. She taught at the Air Force Academy. Uh, and uh, we met in a push-up contest in, in the island of Sicily uh, on a World War II flight line. Uh, and so we've been married for almost 30 years now. And um, so anyway, when I was ready to retire, she had already retired and I was getting ready to retire and we decided to discuss what was next. And she came up with the idea, well, what about a food franchise? I said, sure. So we started doing research, or she did most of it. And we went, we went through a whole bunch of different um, opportunities and we found Dickies and um, Seemed like the good Lord was bringing us to that point because the doors opened the Dickies. We seemed to, you know, seemed to be a good fit. We thought that Colorado Springs could use uh, some more barbecue. Uh, Dickies price points were good. People could afford it. Uh, we just thought it was a good fit for Colorado Springs. So um, we went down that road. Uh, big leap of faith. Uh, because as you know, first time franchise owners have a hard time getting bank financing. A little bit. So... I used to look a lot younger before we did our first store. Um, <laughs> That's okay. It's just an audio podcast, not a video. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> they can see the space. They would wonder how I got anything done. Um, we, uh, so we refinanced our house uh, and then put $100,000 on credit cards to buy the equipment. And I didn't sleep for six months. And, um, but it turned out well. And then we were able a year and a half later to do a second store uh, with bank financing, I might add. Uh, and then two more. So we, we ended up building uh, four stores in about five and a half, uh, about five and a half years. That's quite the empire you've built. 
Well, it's a small empire, but it makes us happy. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Now, I have to ask, who won the push-up contest between you all? You know, it was really interesting. Um, when I was introduced to her and she and the challenge was, was thrown out, uh, we dropped down to do the push-ups, and when she got to 20, uh, I said, she goes, I can't do anymore. I said, you know, either can I. I'd never met her before. I said, either can I. So can I buy you a drink? And she said, sure. And um, I didn't tell her I had set the record at Air Base Ground Defense School for push-ups about about a couple of years before. So, uh, but I think 20 push-ups for girls pretty good. You know, uh, it, it is good. It's good for a lot of people. Push-ups too, you know. Not, uh, so, uh, but when she got to 20, she just couldn't do it anymore. So, and I, I just couldn't do it anymore either. So we tied. I love that. I love that. And she doesn't even know that you get through in the towel at 20. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. well, great. It worked out well for me. Right? It did, after, after all these years of marriage. That's wonderful. So tell me a little bit kind of more about your military service and what you were doing there, kind of security operations. Obviously not the classified stuff, but, but a little, little more about that. Well, um, we, I was a, what they call a shift commander uh, for a while, which is what mostly what lieutenants do back in the day when nuclear weapons were a little bit more prevalent. So we did nuclear... Uh, security uh, of nuclear weapons. We had, I'd have 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 guys working for me doing flight line security, protecting the airplanes. My first assignment was at Offutt Air Force Base where they had something called the looking glass and the kneecap. The looking glass was on alert and if there was a, a nuclear incident, they would run from the, the, the crew would be in a, in a uh, safe um, quarters and when the klaxon went off, they'd run, grab all their gear, run to the airplane, uh, which was the C-130, basically, and then take off, and they could do certain things. Also there at, uh, at, at that base was the NECAP, the National Emergency Airborne Command Post, which was a 747 with boatloads of stuff on it. Uh, and wherever the president went, that plane would take off and be somewhere nearby in case of, again, emergencies. So, and in Korea, I ran the air base ground defense for um, the base at Kunsan Air Base in Korea right before the, um, the Olympics in 88. And it was interesting. You'd find a body every now and again out in the rice paddies near the base. Um, it was a very interesting time. A very interesting time. And then uh, went to Sicily where we, um, I was the operations officer for uh, the ground launch cruise missile. Um, uh, weapon system from a security standpoint. So we uh, did some cool things. When I then I did some computer crime investigations that I can't tell you who the perpetrators were, <laughs> but you know they might have been over in Eastern Europe somewhere, uh, getting into, into networks all 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 over the place. Uh, so yeah, uh, and then I got to do some very cool stuff when we were doing the um, uh, preparing to do for a while anyway. Uh, missile defense in Europe. Uh, I was the Air Force lead to work with the Czech Republic on um, the, developing the security requirements for the radar system. And that was really cool. I got to go to Prague a number of times to work with the Czech government. To, and uh, that was really interesting as well. Uh, not that I have excessive use of alcoholic beverages, but the beer in the Czech Republic, I've been told, is very, very good. <laughs> 
No doubt. Well, we so appreciate your service and everything you've done done for our country. That that is really remarkable, and I, I do believe that they probably do have good beer in the Czech Republic and and other countries that have been brewing beer for hundreds and hundreds of years. So no doubt there. <laughs> so so what was the best thing about being being part of the military and part of law enforcement within the military? It was. Well, there's two things. Obviously, the first is the military career brought me my wife, so that was a bonus. <laughs> that is. But the ability in, in the law enforcement security field to lead troops um, is a real privilege. Uh, you know, in the Army and the Marine Corps, there's a lot more enlisted folks percentage-wise to the officer corps. And I've been both. I've been enlisted and and, and an officer. But the... Security police field, security forces field, you really get an opportunity to lead people because I had upwards of 40 to 50 to 100 people working for me doing security, uh, doing air base ground defense, uh, which is a manpower intensive operation if you have to guard the base from, uh, from adversaries. So that ability to lead troops and work with superior enlisted people, just incredibly dedicated. Uh, and that was one of the challenges when we went into the Dickies thing later on. The management tools that were available to me in the military <laughs> were significantly more um, uh, persuasive than, uh, than your management tools in the uh, in the civilian arena. So, but I think the chance to lead to lead men and women uh, in, in defense of the country for, uh, just was a real a real honor. Yes, that, that that's wonderful. So, kind of on the other side, what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about military and, and law enforcement? Wow. Um, well, misunderstood. That's that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I don't know that there's any misconception. Well, I guess what might be a misconception is the reasons why people join the military. Some some join for patriotism. Some join to get a job. Some some join to get an education. Uh, quick uh, anecdotal story: When I went to officer training school uh, at Lackland Air Force Base, the Medina Annex, um, they called the whole class into the base theater one time early on, the first three or four weeks of training, and they said, "If you think you're here to get a master's degree or to, or learn a job skill, you're wrong. You're here for one reason and one reason only." That's to kill people and destroy things, or support those that do. And if you can't live with that, then you need to need to leave. About 25 people got up and walked out because they they were there. They thought to get their master's degree, and they didn't understand what what the military is designed to do. You know, peace through strength. If you don't ever want to ever ever go to war, it, it, it's not glamorous. It's not fun. But you have to be able to do that. And a lot of people don't, especially in the civilian world, don't understand uh, that or the sacrifices that these folks make when they're going on deployments or they're leaving their families, you know, and putting themselves in harm's way, what that does to um, does to uh, to a family. Uh, for instance, when I was in Afghanistan, um, <laughs> there was a call to my to my household that was gone and uh, voice ID, the caller ID said Washington D.C. and um, my son answered, my oldest son, and he was about I don't know, 14 or so, 12, 14, 
And do I need to speak to Mrs. Rusnak, please? And he takes the phone and looks at my wife and he starts crying because he thinks somebody called about something that happened to me. Oh. And what that does to your family is, so it's great to be, you know, I can take care of myself. I'm trained to do that sort of thing. Uh, doesn't mean something bad can't happen. But your family is at home and they just watch TV and hear all these bad things. So uh, what people, a lot of people don't understand what the family goes through when when the spouse goes on a deployment or goes somewhere in, 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 in a bad place. Um, so that's, it's not exactly happy, you know, but, but, it's, but it's something that a lot of folks don't really understand. And so that's why the, the family should get a lot of kudos for supporting the military member when they go off and, and uh, support their country. Does that uh, make sense? Yes, absolutely. I mean, th- those military families are serving and supporting in their own way as well. And, yeah. and that, that's such a, such a good point about how that is so misunderstood. And kind of to that same end, what would you say to someone who was interested in going into the military for a career? I would tell them, do four years and then decide whether you want to stay. Uh, being an old guy, I'm kind of a Neanderthal, so I'm not so sure that uh, the military is a place where now you want to do 20 years. I don't know. Um, things are changing in, in how they're viewed and how they, they run things. So you may or may not want to do 20, but I would say go and do four. You'll learn so much about yourself. You'll develop characteristics and skill sets that will serve you well down, you know, for the rest of your life, whatever you do. And I would definitely always recommend anybody to go in and serve their country, uh, develop that skill set. And then if you're enjoying the lifestyle, and because it changes. I mean, what it was when my uncle was a career Air Force guy in the late 50s and, and 60s, the Air Force has changed tremendously when I came in. And then when I got out, it's changed even more now. I've been out since for almost 10 years now. Um, so, you know, it just, everything changes. So, but if you do it for four years, then you, what do you like about it and what don't you like? Because things change as bases go away over overseas, you don't get the opportunity to travel as much. Some people want to join the military because they want to see the world. I got to see, I mean, I've been to Japan, I've been to Korea, I've been to Central Asia, East Asia, I've been, you know, Middle East, I've been been all over the place. Well, yeah, I think that was, I think that was a recruiting slogan for a while. Join the military, see the world. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, but as, as that changes, though, as as we close bases down in certain places, um, your opportunities for that aren't aren't as great. So it depends on what your motivations are and, and, and what you enjoy. I love being overseas because I realize how fantastic the United States is. Some of the places I've been through, it's like. No, I like the United States, even with all its warts and, 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 and issues. It's way better than Kyrgyzstan. <laughs> well, you certainly, you did, it doesn't sound like you deployed to really, you know, a, a exciting, um, uh, glamorous locations. Well, I've been to some nice ones. Uh, we call them TDYs, temporary duties. When you deploy, you go to places that aren't nearly as nice. Um, but, but again, the experiences you have had, even in some of those places that aren't quite so nice because you get to do things um, and I got to be friends and work with the uh, with the Kyrgyzstan anti-terrorism SWAT team uh, uh, they're a, co- a collection of Russian and and, uh, Af- and um, 
Kyrgyz Nationals uh, that were just amazing. And we got to, we played combat basketball against them. We shot together. We went out to, uh, to their ranges and we shot each other's weapons and just had a, had a great time and, and did some really interesting, interesting things. One of my interpreters when I was in Kyrgyzstan was an Afghan actually, who was kidnapped by the Russians as a high school kid and um, sent to uh, back to uh, back to Russia. They trained him how to fly helicopters. He came back and flew missions against his own people in the Afghan war and then defected with the helicopter into Pakistan. It was a, a very sophisticated Soviet helicopter uh, and flew across the mountains in the, with the MiGs chasing him into uh, into Pakistan and gave it to the CIA and a great story and he ended up getting a U.S. secret clearance came back as an interpreter and he worked for me and he was just he was awesome we still stay in touch he's living in Turkey right now and we we, we chat on on uh, Facebook every three or four times a year uh, tremendous I mean what his story is absolutely unbelievable and uh, he was really fun to work with that's that's amazing, and and you you clearly have so many incredible experiences that, that you've had in your in your time in service. And kind of, is there an experience that really stands out as something that either really touched your heart or really kind of ended up changing how you do things? Um. Well, I'll avoid the um, Afghan uh, the, my deployment to Afghanistan because there were some significant emotional experiences there, um, but. Probably just the opportunity to, to to do to try try new things and do things that I wasn't sure I was able to do. I mean, I ran two Air Force SWAT teams. Um, like I said, I, I led I led guys and gals, and that leadership development was was just real special. Um, so I don't know. If that's really a good answer to your question because it's a it's a it's a hard one to pick one one experience necessarily um going to korea i worked for some tremendously talented people my cop commander again another brief anecdotal story was a huey uh, uh helicopter pilot first and uh he went to the he was involved in the mind west incident uh back in the 70s and where and he went he uh, flew off the uh Navy boat uh, and rescued 50, 60 Marines off the island under heavy fire. He ended up getting the Distinguished Flying Cross, which is the one right below the Medal of Honor. And he, he's an absolute war hero. And he was my commander. And there was about five or six senior officers that I worked with a lot. I was a, a lieutenant when I was there. And uh, we ended up staying in touch over the years. And they all came to my wedding. They came to my retirement ceremony. Um, and these were guys that are true leaders and, and they all retired as colonels. And uh, it was those kinds of experiences when you meet people like that and you can, and, and, and there's a mutual respect. That's that's something that, that is really important to me anyway. No, that and that's, yes, absolutely. And that's so remarkable. I mean, the camaraderie is one of those things that I think is such a benefit of coming through the military. I think there really is that shared experiences that, that does really make a difference. 
um, in, in those friendships that then they're just so much deeper and, and more meaningful. So, yeah. um, so kind of, I know in, in your time, obviously in the military, you were out there and you were helping people and giving back. I know that so much what you've been doing with Dickies has also been giving back. I know we talk a lot about it. One of our priorities is doing both well and good. Um, and I know that you all have done things like turkeys at, at the holidays. I know that most recently we've been talking about your participation with Feed the Fridge. Talk to me about why giving back is, is so important to you and how that drives you. Well, when you've been blessed with wonderful opportunities and, and your life's been, been, been blessed in a spiritual way, um, good family, good friends, uh, to me it's just common sense that you want to be able to give back a little bit. It doesn't make you a better person, it's just something that is kind of, it does kind of make you, hopefully you'll grow through that. But I just think it's just to me it's inherently the right the right thing to do. So you mentioned we were and we look for opportunities and sometimes opportunities come and find you. And, and we would get phone calls. We did this thing Operation Turkey uh, at Christmas, where um, like Walmart would donate three or four hundred turkeys. We would smoke them, and then we'd give them another restaurant. PF Chang's would get their people to, and they would carve them, and then they would take them out to different you know places where people needed some special food at, at, at Christmas time and you know that that was there was a little, there was some butt pain involved in it but it was it was it was good it was it was fun uh, we occasionally we, we don't do as much anymore because it hasn't worked out as well as we hope but we would sometimes hire people from uh, halfway houses like or not halfway houses but when they get out of, out of jail and they're living in, in, in you know kind of a halfway house where they're under some government uh, stuff we would we would hire give them a chance to rebuild their lives and we uh, and we had a couple of them that worked out well and some that that didn't work out quite as good um, but you know as a law enforcement guy I was always had my eyes and ears open for those that weren't turning out quite so well um, but anyway but we, but we did you know we did some of that and then we tried to do as much in the, in, in the community as we can uh, understanding we're still a business you know we have, we have to make a profit um, but the more we can do that then the more we can donate the more you know the more successful we are the more we can do for the community and hence we uh, got wind of this organization called feed the fridge uh, which is designed to as we talked earlier designed to help restaurants stay open and help with this new term I guess food insecurity uh, for folks that especially during the COVID the unconstitutional illegal shutdowns of the country um, that put restaurants in a really bad spot um, and people in general were losing their jobs and they were you know that they, they, they couldn't feed their families so there's a guy back in DC who owns a couple of relatively upscale restaurants that decided he, he had a great idea uh, to, to help this and he come up with this idea called feed, feed the fridge and the, originally it started out with like the Washington uh, Redskins uh, stadium RFK I think it's still called uh, uh, RFK but anyway they because they were there weren't fans of the football games they didn't really need all the refrigerators that you know Budweiser and, and, and Coke were donating so they were able to get those fridges and put them around D.C. and Maryland and Virginia. And then they would, as, as you and I talked about, restaurants would put meals, boxed lunches or bag meals in these refrigerators. And folks that were hungry and, and needed the food would just come by and pick, up, pick what they needed, take two or three, take them home, feed their children or themselves. 
and there's no stigma attached. One of the neat things about it is there's no stigma attached to it. You don't have to go to the county, you know, welfare office and and sign up and, and convince them that you need this. You're hungry. You know where the fridge is. You go down. You walk half a mile down there. You grab a couple of box lunches, and off you go. And it's a great it's a great thing. So it helps because they they actually raise money to to reimburse the restaurants marginally so they're making a small profit uh so they helps them helps restaurants who might otherwise have to close to stay open so everybody gets to keep their jobs and and everything and it feeds people that are truly in need that are you know in what they call food in, uh, insecurity so it's it's a cliche but it's one of those win-win things where everybody benefits it's, so we're it's gonna try to bring that to Colorado Springs it sounds like it absolutely is a win-win. I mean, again, like you said, it's helping small businesses, helping local restaurants, but then also the way that they're doing this really gives people their humanity and their dignity, and yeah. and what a nice thing to be doing for people who are facing some of the toughest times they probably have faced. And so um, that that's a really wonderful thing that you're part of, and thank you. Thank you for doing that for your community. Uh, it was, it, again, it's an honor to be able to help out. So I mean, I, obviously, helping out is helping community is so much so important. As we talked about doing both well is, is well and good is important. What what do you consider to be the most important thing that you've learned in your life? <laughs> uh, how much time is Spocky asking to go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, some people say I haven't learned anything. <laughs> but, um, you don't know what you don't know. Well, exactly. That's that's a broad category for me. What I don't know. Um, um, wow, what did I learn in my life? I guess, you know, that you can answer that in many, many different ways. Part of it, I guess, what you learn, it's not necessarily about you all the time. Uh, we as a culture sometimes tend to, you know, focus on, on me, 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 me. And it's not always about you, it's about other people. And, and obviously, from a leadership management, just life perspective, treating people with respect, being able to have fun with them a little bit, tease them a little bit gently, but but have fun with them, but treat them with with respect. You can you can get things done with people without you know ripping them a new one. And and you know I've watched people, some other Dickies owners, some people at Dickies, corporate people in my military career that you know have sometimes didn't learn that very well, and then they wonder why they're not successful. You can be successful by being nice to people, but you set standards in my military career. I yelled a couple times, but didn't have to yell a lot because I'd look them in the eyeballs and say, this is how we're going to do it. And you can, and this is the standard I expect. And you can do that and just hold them to that standard. You, you, you don't have to, you don't have to berate them. Uh, you can just set the standard. So I guess what I've learned is that um, doing good things for, for people, also helps you grow as a person and, and makes life a lot more fun and a lot more rewarding. If it's all about you, um, I think you really miss out on some of the real joy that, that life can bring. And that sounds very esoterical and, and kind of hokey pokey, but I, I really believe that it, it's true. If, if you do things for other people, um, and then if you have a spiritual side, that all plays into your relationship with God. And I just think it's important. It just, it's the right thing to do for the right reasons. I think that's wonderful. I think that's wonderful advice. 
All right, we're going to flip it a little bit, and now we're going to turn back to Dickie's. So what's your favorite Dickie's meat and your favorite side? I get this question a lot, especially from customers. They'll walk and they'll say, well, what should I get? And I say, well, I'm a brisket guy. Um, and my son gets mad at me uh, because pork's a cheaper meat. <laughs> but, but that, no, tell him pork. Tell him to buy pork. Um, but I'm a, I love, I love the Dickies brisket. Uh, I love it chopped. I don't like it sliced. I love it chopped. Right. And, uh, it's just, it's really, we, we do, we have a fantastic recipe that, you, you know, from Dickies for the, for the brisket. And I really love the chopped brisket. Awesome. And, and, which, brisket. and which side? Um, I'm a convention, I have two. Uh, I'm a, I love the coleslaw. Uh, I, I love the creamy coleslaw and I'm a barbecue beans guy. All right, all right. That, so, a so that feeds in really nicely because we always like to wrap it up with our lightning round. I'm going to give you two choices and you're going to give me your favorite. All right, okay. barbecue beans or jalapeno beans? Barbecue beans. Sweet tea or unsweet tea? Uh, is there any red wine choices in there? <laughs> do you sell alcohol at your Dickies? We do. We've had three out of the four. We do. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not a big tea drinker, but if I were, it would be the unsweet. All right. I made a lot of sweet tea for the restaurant. I gag every time I make it with the amount of sugar we put in there. <laughs> oh, I'm don't tell people that. They'll never buy it again. <laughs> we're, we're, we are going to be sued for a diabetic coma that somebody's going to go into. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's always unsweet tea, and they can add their own sweetener. All right. I think you already answered this one, but chopped brisket or sliced brisket? Chopped. All right. Sauce or no sauce? Oh, sauce. All right, so, okay, on that one, on that note, spicy, sweet, or original? Original. Okay. If I'm doing chips and salsa, I like the spicy stuff. If I'm <laughs> doing barbecue, I want the original. We have a great, as you know, we have a great original sauce. There you go. All right, and I think, you, again, you already answered this one. Brisket or pulled pork? Oh, uh, brisket. But is your son saying pulled pork? He's, he loves pulled pork. <laughs> there you go. All right, and your last one, we'll wrap it up with ribs or wings? I'm a ribs guy. All right. Um, Love the ribs. All right. Well, awesome. Sometimes we'll steal when nobody's looking. We'll steal a rack of ribs from the store and go home and go down to the basement and put on a football game and uh, eat ribs and watch football. So. Uh, that, rib, ribs, beer, and football are a great combination there. Yes, they are. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bob. I super appreciate you taking your time uh, to visit with us on Dickie's Doing Good. Thanks so much. Always my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Seriously, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. It was great that we could share our stories with you. If you want more information about the Dickey Foundation, feel free to visit thedickeyfoundation.org. And if you want more information about some of our great owners and the great stories they're doing, please visit dickies.com. We look forward to seeing you next week where we'll continue sharing the good stories of good people doing good things in our community.